folks. XQ quality, better than HQ, but no one knows what the X stands for, except for extremely good. <clears throat> Here we go. Episode 204 of Channel Massive. We are back. Yes, and more powerful than ever. Right. Right, oh. Without any sidekicks, though. Yeah, we have no sidekicks. Only major superheroes for this one. (laughs) (laughs) I'm Noah. I am Mark. We are here to give you your weekly dose of Channel Massive love. We're going to have a nice traditional episode this week. So it should go down nice and easy. Turkey, mashed potatoes, dressing. Yes, cranberry sauce. At yeah. the, end. <laughs> the optional, the one optional component of any any traditional dinner. Yeah. <laughs> so that means we will have an epic introgeddon. We have epic listener feedback. We're going to tell you what we've been playing. Get into a little general geekery and debate. And then a nice little round table to wrap it up. And this week, the round table is going to be about rumors in game journalism. Mm-hmm. Rumor and innuendo, my two favorite things. Yeah, that's what this show is built on. It is. That's the foundation, the crumbling foundation upon which everything <laughs> we do is based. Yes, it's very crumbling. <laughs> <laughs> it's made out of graham crackers. <laughs> come up with <laughs> held together by marshmallows it's a, with a layer of chocolate it's a giant s'more if you will <laughs> crunchy gooey and delicious held together by our burning passion for gaming that's right <laughs> <laughs> it's s'more fest episode <laughs> I like that analogy the way it just kind of grew organically that was awesome yeah, that, I think that might be uh, contributing to the title of this episode. Awesome. In case anybody was grossed out by the title, be known that that'll be the last, maybe they'll be talking about that, but not the last that we'll be talking about sex and video games. That's at the end of our intro. Get in. Before we get to that candy surprise, though, we've got the futurist section, the financial section, and then that sex parts in the lifestyle section. But first, the futurist section, looking into... Gaming to come. Technology to come. Gaming from the future. Yes. And as we were talking about rumors from a nice squishy bedrock for our show. (laughs) (laughs) And the first story we're going to talk about in the future section is a leaked document that apparently shows Microsoft's plans for the next Xbox. Yeah, and it's pretty interesting. Um, some of the things in this document, and I guess this is from their the lawyers that they typically, the, the law offices that they typically employ for things. Um, but some of the features listed are uh, two ninety nine price point, Blu Ray instead of DVD. Uh, connect a second generation of that that will be four player friendly. And 3D, it looks like with glasses of some sort. Yeah, augmented reality glasses. 
That's pretty cool. Codename after the console launches. Right. So it's like kind of like Connect was, <laughs> where it was like, ah, we get it out there. So code code name for this is Fortaleza, which is a what is it? A city, city, a capital city in Brazil, much like Natal. Um, they need to anyway, that. yeah, it's really cheesy. I, I really think they should go with something more American. <laughs> After all, they are American company. <laughs> just stop role playing that they're sexy Brazilians and just admit that they're East white nerds in Seattle. Yeah, they should go with like code name Michigan or, or yeah. Detroit or I don't know. Codename well, Denver is that we heard recently that the code name for Xbox, according to a developer event that was in Europe a few months ago, was Durango. Yeah, what the hell? I don't get it. So there's speculation that this document potentially could be completely fabricated by somebody who's really dedicated, or it could be partially accurate, or it could definitely be outdated because some of the things that it cites in the document, like, oh, Connect just came out, and this version of the iPhone is out, and something else hasn't come out, and Fable is the latest and greatest in Xbox offerings, uh, Fable 3, I think. Uh, so there, people are pegging it at I think 2010 or 2010. Yeah, that's right. It was supposed to be a roadmap document, but, but. very intriguing roadmap. Yeah, and it talks about um, possible tablet integration as one yeah. Feature. Now that that would not be that would be kind of like a huh, but because like what con- what possible tablet would Microsoft have? you know, total control over. But guess what's been discussed this just this week, the Microsoft Surface tablet, which, yes. you know, it's funny when I was reading uh, an article about the Surface tablet, they were, they were, the analysts were saying, well, Microsoft doesn't do hardware. They only do software. This totally flies against everything, you know, in the face of everything they do. Meanwhile, they were totally forgetting about the Xbox <laughs> or the Xbox 60, right? So, it's kind of it's kind of funny. They're like, well, Microsoft doesn't do hardware. This is totally different. But no, Microsoft has been doing hardware for some time now, very successfully, I would say. And they've made peripherals, too. Their own keyboards, their own mice. Mice. I've always thought that the Microsoft mice were really nice, um, and it rhymes, too. But, uh, <laughs> but Jeff, they are in the hardware business. And so if there's always been some kind of a plan, a sneaky plan perhaps, to integrate this uh, Surface tablet with their next gen for um, gaming console, uh, that would be pretty interesting. Yeah, because I'm not sure. The, 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 the fallback plan for that is what they showed at E3, which is the smart glass where any right. tablet or touch device can be used to harness awesome multimedia functionality while you juggle your, juggle your Xbox controller. That that did not excite me. No, That's and I revelation from E three, but Microsoft Surface I think actually looks kind of cool. Oh yeah, I I have been holding off on buying a tablet, like just waiting for the right time, and that might be the right time, especially for the the uh, higher end version of it. I mean, surely most people are thinking the price point's going to probably be around five hundred dollars, or at least the analysts are saying that because that seems to be palatable for most folks. Um, obviously. Based on iPad sales, that's a price point that's not too prohibitive for entry. Um, but that's probably for the ARM-based model, and then it's going to be somewhere upwards of that, uh, maybe by another 100 or $200 for the the, uh, the version that will actually, you know, allow you to use it like a 
a standard Windows 8 box. Yeah. So that's and a pretty intriguing. sexy package. And it has a pin. And now a lot of people like are derisive about the pin, but if you're an artist, that pin could be very, very handy to have. I mean, it doesn't say you have to use the pin. It's just something yeah, exactly. that Microsoft just can't seem to let go of. But that could be like it could be really a killer setup for for artists, digital artists, you know. So um, I don't know. I find that to be one probably the single most exciting announcement I've seen. And I'm everyone that knows me will tell you I am not a Microsoft fanboy. No. By any means, <laughs> I've made a career out you're of not, not an Apple fanboy either. You're kind oh, of yeah. kind of agnostic. Yeah, I mean, it just you know you just use what works for you. But um, that it is it looks pretty darn good, and so I'm really interested in seeing how it develops and uh, how how the launch goes. So yeah, I'm right there with you, Mark, because I've been sitting on the fence. I I knew I was going to get a smartphone this year, and then I thought that I was for sure going to get an iPad. But then somebody in my work got a pretty sleek. Asus or Asus, I can't believe it's pronounced Asus. That just drives me nuts. Oh um, yeah, tablet uh, that was really cool. And I'm like, wow, you know, an Android tablet would go really well with my smartphone tablet. And it's like, do right. I want a Microsoft thing if it's not going to have the Android Marketplace or Apple's iTunes right. store? So or App Store? So I'm just like, Ugh, I, I still am kind of unsure about it. But the device does look really cool, and to think that I wouldn't have to. Maybe I'm missing the whole appeal of what Apple defines as a tablet, which is kind of like a dumbed-down computer. Yeah, I mean, uh, that's the thing. It breaks that barrier. It's not dumbed down anymore. Yeah, and some people are like, well, that's on purpose. Apple has created a new market, a new niche in the market <laughs> that must be filled, and Microsoft Surface is overreaching because of that. And I'm like, uh, as a computer aficionado, I want that power. Yeah, I do too. I, I ne never want to be limited by a design uh, consideration, I guess. Like, I think, you know, form the whole form follows function argument comes into play here. I just want the damn thing to be a computer, a mobile computer that is very, very mobile. Now, that said, if it's there is a caveat, because one of the things that makes people so happy about smartphones and also the iPad is that they're on. They're always on. They turn on pretty quickly. Right. And if this tablet is really sexy and it can be a tablet and it can be essentially a laptop computer, but it takes two minutes to start up like a standard right. C, it's going to be a lot less sexier. That's for or, sure. Or if it has a battery life of like, uh, you know, two hours. Yeah. You know, which has killed a lot of droids for me. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, that that would be a killer too. If it, but they've, I think they have to kind of come out with – some kind of system where it has some uh, some of the always on stuff for like email and other functions, yeah. and then when you when you're kicking it into, say you want to run Photoshop for instance hypothetically, <laughs> you know you're gonna want you're gonna want to be able to do that without waiting, you know, for a seeming eternity and to know, know that your battery life isn't gonna just go yeah. to nothing, right? Exactly. So that'll be that that'll be interesting, especially because. No laptop that I've seen that has any kind of decent processor, um, the battery life or the batteries for those are not small. So, you know, if the thing comes out and it's like bigger than the new um, uh, Mac Power Book <laughs> or something, for instance, that could be bad. But we'll see. Yeah. Either way, we're definitely excited and intrigued. As pretty much a, a lot of the stuff that I've read has generally been 
positive. Yeah. Even people who are really into Apple, they're like, well, this is cool. It's not that bad. Yeah. (laughs) I think the funny thing is a lot of it has to do with things that you would associate with Apple. Just really, just a couple really smart and clever hardware design choices. Right, right. Went a long way in making that tablet look. The keyboard is is a killer thing, too, I think, because everybody can fool themselves and say that using the keyboard on a tablet, you know, where a a touch keyboard on a tablet is, you know, just as good as the real thing, but it's not. But being able to quickly just unfold the thing and turn it into a, you know, having the option to have an actual tactile keyboard that you can use, I think that's that's pretty... uh, Pretty pretty big feature there, so yeah, I agree. Yeah, we will see. And I, I'm intrigued to see more stuff done with augmented reality. That's kind of like the halfway step between true virtual reality, which John Carmack of all people was exploring in a pretty cool way at E3. Oh yeah, with like a headset that did 3D graphics and it was virtual reality at the same time. Uh, and if Microsoft has that in its roadmap for the Xbox successor, that could be really cool too. I mean, tablets, I'm still kind of on the fence about even with Nintendo's new console and I should be really excited about that stereotypically, but I'm not. Right, still right. kind of like, I, 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 don't, I don't see the big value out here. But augmented reality stuff, having played around with that, I know, Mark, you've done that with your phone. And yeah. And 3DS also has some really cool little experiments with it. Full-on video games that do that, that would be really cool. It could be really interesting, yeah. You know, you know, I'm always amazed by what people are coming up with for gaming. You know, using things. Um, for instance, the first time I saw, oh, I can't remember the name of it, but there's an iPhone game that's like a kind of like a, a vintage World War II fighter simulator, mm-hmm. and it and it uses the um, the position of your phone to 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 control the flaps and everything. So. You get the screen to where you can see it, and then you're just basically moving your phone around to go up and down and right, bank right and left and everything. And then, you know, you can use your thumbs for the throttle, but you're not controlling it with just, you know, all your fingers at the same time, you know, to try and move this thing around. And it was just so natural. And I thought, oh, wow, I, you know, I hadn't thought about that. Yeah. It's pretty cool. That's said there is a lot of disagreement in analyst land about when this new Xbox will come out. During E3, there were several who said, it's going to come out in 2013, and good old Michael Pachter, <laughs> who was looking for a headline, waited a while and said, no, I think it's not going to come out until 2014, because that will give Xbox fanboys the opportunity to early adopt in the spring, when Microsoft probably won't be able to make a lot of devices, and the Xbox fanboys won't have to compete with moms buying the system for their families or for their kids during a Christmas rush. Mm. And then there's a slow build up to, to making a stronger library in 2014 holiday. But I don't know. Uh, when do you think it would come out? I would think 2013, but um, I just think it makes sense to do, to do it sooner than later. Meanwhile, but... Sony says they're happy to wait as long as they want, uh, as long as, possible because something that has been repeated frequently between engine developers and journalists and also console people now is that 
it's going to be really hard to sell people on the next generation of consoles. There's this fear that people won't be able to tell the difference, and yet they'll still see a high price point. And Sony says they don't want to come out with the PS4 until, quote, a significant leap can be shown. I do think we're getting there, but uh, as my very bad reaction to Star Wars 1313 and uh, Watch Dogs were where I thought that those were current-gen games, and apparently they weren't. Oh, (laughs) funny. Which is kind of sad because I'm not supposed to be the layperson gamer, but right, it's it's going to be hard to sell people on new systems if there isn't a really obvious, easy way to see how it's different and worth the investment. Yeah, one thing that you know I think that both could do make massive improvements on is the whole um, you know set top box kind of facet, which um, you know, granted, I, I know the Xbox 360s done a lot better um, than in the past. And I don't know about the PS4, if you've done anything for using it to consume, you know, like, um, you know, digital TV or movies or anything like that, like for Netflix viewing or anything like that. No, their interface is horrible. But the 360 is not bad, um, but it could be better for, you know, your own movie collection for streaming that stuff um, or, you know, having more options. Mm-hmm. And and I don't think, you know, there's a lot of devices out. There's like the Rock U and there's the Western Digital Live and there's a there's a whole bunch of oh, the, there's the Logitech one. Um, there's, a you know, Google TV. There's a lot of these devices out and all of them seem to somehow miss somewhere along the way. Like they'll have almost everything you want, but not quite like they won't do the movie sheets right or. You know, they'll have Pandora, but they won't have Spotify, or, mm-hmm. you know, or they'll have Spotify, but they won't have Pandora, or, you know, and it's just like the only way that the only one that I've seen that's really um, consistently, you know, kind of knocks it out of the park across the board is, um, you know, taking like um, Windows and using like um, the, the media player for that or or um Xbox um Media Center like the newer versions of that that you can load up are just awesome. You know, and it'll play all the different file formats and codecs mm-hmm. and has it all kind of built in and and it does the movie sheets and there's all this all these just really cool things you can do. And it's it's kind of like, you know, that that's become such a growing part of what people kind of, I mean, families just kind of revolve around the Xbox or the the PlayStation now if they're used for that. So I think they could make big steps in that as well as, you know, gaming's obviously very important to a game console, but that other use, um, you know, until I replaced my 360 upstairs with a Western Digital Live, it was on almost all the time. It was on, you know, literally 24-7. Yeah, I remember, because I'd go to play games, and it's like, Mark's on, but he's not doing anything. Yeah, yeah, I was always, like, logged in on Xbox Live, but not really doing anything. And my daughter, still, my three-year-old, still says, I want the Xbox on, because she likes to watch My Little Pony. And I'm like, no, it's not an Xbox anymore, but I'll turn it on anyway, you know. Um, so I, I think, you know, either, either of these two um, consoles that the next gens when they come out should do that a lot better than they do it now. And that would be huge. Like, it sounds like PS4 could, could make vast improvements unless, unless they figure out how to fix the interface for the PS3. Certainly there's not a hardware limitation there. No, it's just all you user interface. Yeah. Um, and the 360 could, could make some significant, uh, strides there as well. So I guess we'll see, but yeah, that's what I'm hoping for, <laughs> for next gen features. 
what was kind of scary was good old John Carmack. It got onto the got into the debate talking about how he's not really excited about the next gen because he's he knows that Sony and Microsoft are chasing technical specs. But in one quote, he basically said you could take Halo and then up it to 60 frames per second and use all high res textures. And you basically use up all the power that next gen consoles are going to have. Wow. So you're just basically getting a higher res version of Halo. Who cares? But it's still Halo. Uh, yeah, you know, that's, it's not truly next gen. It's just like there's not enough power to have anything to even work with. And if the human eye can, you know, barely discern the difference, I, I don't know what that buys really between, you know, the frame rates. Now, one thing that's this is a total tangent because it's definitely not covered in our show notes. But have you heard about the angst over the um, some of the screenings of the the um, the Hobbit? Um, like previews no. at 48 frames per second. Oh, because it's like it's too realistic or something? Yeah, they say it gives it this really weird, like, kind of um, soap almost like, yeah, soap opera-esque. It looks like 1970s documentary films. It's kind of like <laughs> jittery. I've heard all kinds of different descriptions for it. I've heard a lot of bitching about it. Um, the theater owners are pissed because they don't have equipment that can run it. So, and it, it, and they're you know they're referring to um, Jackson. What's his first name? Is Peter, it Peter Jackson. Peter Jackson. And um, oh, I can't believe I can't remember the guy's name. Uh, the guy that did uh, Avatar, James Cameron. They're calling them like the gearheads of directors, and you know because they have so much um, clout cloud they're able to you know they're trying to kind of force the standard down the throats of the the uh, movie uh, theaters industry and it's you know for a game that people are saying we're not kind of liking the way it looks we're not used to it i've heard on the other side though that people go once they get used to it and it's only a, you know a, you know maybe first five minutes of the movie they they really dig it because it is a new oh. level of uh you know a real well realism and i mean they're able to really feel like they're seeing the video in a in a new way so it's it's kind of it's kind of interesting and it's kind of it kind of goes with what Carmack was saying about you know 60 frames per second for a game that's great it can do that but do we really need it you know will it, mm-hmm. will it add a lot <sighs> what what more can you add to halo you know if you like <laughs> Well, and as he cited, the thing that he thinks is more interesting is actually trying to deliver games in a new way, which he thought we, the original we, did a good job of, and kind of explains why he was pursuing virtual reality helmets. That's interesting, because he went mobile for a while. I remember, you know, he was like, mobile's the future, and well, sure enough, it's revitalized the indie game uh, market pretty well. I wouldn't even say revitalized. I still am sticking with it's a golden age for that between digital distribution and, um, you know, the mobile mobile market. Um, So, yeah, he seems to just be moving all around now with this... (laughs) I guess we'll see. the The whole thought of like somebody really pulling off VR is really exciting to me, especially after the whole Ready Player One book with you know those those cool haptic sensors for hands and um or the the interface, you know, and then the, it was totally th- total three D immersion. It could be really awesome. And I'd like yeah. to see it sooner than later. Yeah, you know. 
but certainly we'll see what happens. Getting a little bit more near term, there have been some other predictions made and that are related specifically to games. First of all, Mark, Guild Wars 2 is coming, and there's this interesting article that kind of acted in two fashions. It was a way of saying why this writer was excited about Guild Wars 2 and what this writer was this writer, I'm not talking about myself. I'm talking about the writer. Who <laughs> uh, what this writer thought was wrong with Star Wars Old Republic. And I was kind of interested to hear what you felt in response to his arguments that Guild Wars 2 could be better than Star Wars The Old Republic. There's five different reasons they decided. And I know that you haven't been able to play a Guild Wars 2 beta or anything like that. So this is purely speculative. But going down his list, first of all, he felt that story in the Old Republic got in the way of gameplay, where even the most mundane story or quests that were, you know, basically kill 10 rats had this long-witted conversation that you had to sit through and listen to, whereas Guild Wars 2 is going to take more of an Age of Conan approach, where full voice acting will be used, but only on primary class quests and not stuff that's kind of grindy. Yeah. Yeah, I'll read through the list, and you know, it's it's so easy to write this, um, you know, without the game actually being out. Yeah. And so to say it will be so much better. No, I was a big fan of Star Wars Old Republic. Yeah. I, I, originally, when we, I initially heard about it, I was, like, not too excited. Then I had played some Bioware games and thought, mm, maybe I can pull some of the stuff off. And then we saw it at E3, and I wasn't excited anymore because it just felt like, wow. And then the beta came out, and uh, I did one of the flashpoints, and that convinced me to buy it and play it and, you know, max out one at least one character and marry my Twi'lek slave girl. And, you know, I, I really I really did enjoy my time playing it. Um, do I want to go and play all, you know, the, all the possible um, character classes now to find out what the story is? I don't know. It's something I might go back to later, maybe when it goes free to play, which we'll talk about later. Um but um, but as far as like his list of of what's going to make it better, story doesn't get in the way of gameplay. Well, let's see how that actually happens. Let's see if that's really possible. They talk about um, you know like a dynamic difficulty system, very similar to um, you know the way Bethesda handles it with their their RPGs. Mm-hmm. But we'll see how that really works out. I don't know that story ever got in the way of my gameplay. In fact, I liked my story more than the gameplay in, in Star Wars Old Republic. After play, you know, that, that would be like my 20th MMO I'd played. I'm really not too enamored with the gameplay anymore, so I am really was really looking more for story. So for number one, I call that a swing and a miss. Um, for two, Guild, number two is Guild Wars 2 understands MMORPGs should be about player interaction. That's a really good point. The The thing that kind of was lacking was the need to have player interaction in Star Wars The Old Republic. I mean, you could pretty much play it as a single-player game. Uh, well, no, you have not even pretty much. You totally could. It was a lot of fun when you had player interaction, but it seemed kind of contrived. So that mm-hmm. that is a good point. But, but will they pull it off? I don't know. It's, a, it's another MMO. Um, and people ha- who make MMOs have found that people like to be able to play them as single-player games. So we'll see if it's you know kind of like an old-school MMO where you mm-hmm. have to interact with players and you have to socialize and form groups to make it through. 
or if you can figure out some way to switch it over to easy mode and just, you know, grind through the content. Um, number three was Guild Wars 2's world feels much more alive. That How do you say that? I mean, I mean, how do you prove it? We'll have to just see. I'll have to see that for myself. I talk again about the dynamic events that, that will occur, um, breathing a sense of life into the world. We'll just have to see. I've heard that before, you know, <laughs> yeah. we have the biggest live team ever. And then exactly. as soon as the game launches and doesn't have 10 million players, um, then That's they, the first they fire the live team and then yep. they fire the tech support team. And then pretty much you get one update every, uh, or one update every six months. So we'll see if the dynamic events are really up to snuff. We've heard about dynamic events for a long time. Um, Four, Guild Wars 2 doesn't have a traditional in-game. That one... That's funny. That one sounded like the game doesn't have an in-game at all. Yeah. That's what uh, the point of an MMO is. It's not supposed to have... I mean, it it doesn't have an end, but the end game is just kind of in the eye of the beholder. So that one we'll have to see for ourselves, too. Um, And then finally, so far, ArenaNet is better at addressing player concerns than Bioware. Well, that's, again, something that you can kind of... Let's see what happens when it launches, you know? Mm-hmm. Sure, they say that people reacted better after um, the one of the rounds of the beta, but let's just see, okay? <laughs> so <laughs> I'm not convinced, but I do like what ArenaNet has done. Um, that being said, I haven't done anything to try to, like, pre-order Guild Wars 2. I'm really just really tired of MMOs right now, personally. <laughs> I don't know about you. What? But, but, <laughs> I just, I really am, you know. I, <laughs> it's so funny. I was talking to a friend of mine uh, just yesterday about the whole MMO question with Channel Massive. <laughs> the question, mm. the MMO question and Channel Massive. Right. Uh, saying that that yeah. was kind of like where we started and we've played lots of MMOs together. And now it's kind of changed where it's like, you're the guy who plays the MMOs and I'm the guy who plays anything but MMOs. <laughs> right, right. And you've just been soldiering on and still been you have still been getting excited about games and playing them. And I have a a faint desire, a faint interest in playing all these fantastic games because I do know that they're great that have gone free to play. It's like, wow, there's no barrier to entry, but I still feel more attracted right now to single player, traditional single player experiences. Right. Even to the sacrifice or the expense of league of legends, which I haven't played in three months. I checked. So it's just like, yeah, I think we've talked about this before in the show, Mark, that sometimes you just want to have a different game experience. You know, you're not tired of games. You yeah. just get tired of a certain flavor. It's like you can't eat chocolate ice cream or spaghetti meatballs or pepperoni pizza day in and day out and day in and day out and not get tired of it. Oh, exactly. You know, I really just am kind of enjoying playing some games right now that don't have a level bar across the bottom of my interface. <laughs> You know? That kind of does sum it up, the level bar across the bottom of the screen. Yeah. I'm just <laughs> but I probably will look into Guild Wars 2. It does sound really good, and I know that Scott, Southern Scott, is a huge proponent of Guild Wars. He was a huge fan of the first game. He's really excited about the second game. So if yeah. anything, we can count on hearing impressions from him. And I bet Eric as well. Eric got into Secret World much more. I mean, he followed through. Yeah. The me and Pierre did, and I'm really impressed with that. Yeah, that does look pretty cool, too. So, yeah, we'll see. Yeah. But getting back to Star Wars The Old Republic specifically, 
already the statement has gone out there. The game hasn't been out. It's only been out for, I think, just barely six months. Yep. And the free-to-play phrase has been uttered by a lead designer at BioWare. Emmanuel Lucinci has said that BioWare is looking into changing Star Wars The Old Republic's uh, business model in favor of free-to-play. And what Emmanuel said was, the MMO market is very dynamic, and we need to be dynamic as well. Unless people are happy with what they have, they are constantly demanding updates, new modes, and situations. So we are looking at free-to-play, but I can't tell you in much detail. We have to be flexible and adapt to what is going on. Yeah, in other words, just do it. <laughs> Sorry, that's not in other words. That's not even close. But I'm, I'm just thinking... Where where's the downside for them right now in going free to play? Subscriptions are being sloughed off in the you know four hundred thousand users per month almost. Um, they should just seriously take a look at how Turbine has fared with their free to play model for their two games, um, Lotro and DDO, and the fact that those are very much beloved by their player base, which is a steady player base. Um, they should take a look at what. Um, City of Heroes is done, um, DCUO. I mean, um, I, I know there are others that have gone free to play, but none that I think do it quite so well. So I think they should look at that. I don't see how they could possibly not make the move and then start to come up with really good episodic content that people can opt to buy, you know, and 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 go go with it, or or you know, ex or you know, frequently published expansion. Um, content, whichever way they want to take it, but I think that's what they need to do. I think it's a, it's a duh, like duh, yeah, do it, yeah, do it before you know, because they're so in the hole on, <laughs> on the game right now. Like it was two fifty, two hundred fifty million to develop, and last I heard, they weren't you know even close. I don't even think they were at halfway mark yet for recouping that. So, and that was just to develop it. They're running it. With you know, you know, they yeah, have, that's a huge bill, right? You know, they still have development going on. They still have they have servers to maintain and support and pay for. They have a tech support team or you know, customer support team. I mean, they um, so yeah, they need to figure something out and 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 make the change as quickly as possible. I think. And speaking of the change, wrapping up our financial section of Introgeddon was an interesting comment from Chief Operating Officer Peter Moore. He works over at Electronic Arts. He transitioned from Nintendo. He defected over to Microsoft to work on Xbox. Uh, and then he ended up at EA. And now he's CEO over there. He started out working on sports there, and now he's risen to the top. He's quite the uh, charismatic and effective leader. And he expressed an opinion that he believes the future of video games is going to be within free-to-play and microtransactions. He gave a quote in an interview with Kotaku saying, I think ultimately those microtransactions will be in every game, but the game itself or the access to the game will be free. I think there's an inevitability that happens five years from now, ten years from now, that let's call it the client, to use the term, is free. It's no different than it's, it's free to me, to walk into the gap in my local shopping mall. They don't charge me to walk in there. 
I can walk into the Gap, enjoy the music, look at the jeans and what have you. But if I want to buy something, I have to pay for it. And he went on to elaborate that while he sees a majority of games going the free-to-play route and people are using microtransactions to support them, there still may be AAA $60 games, but he just thinks that there's an inevitability that has started with the with Wii coming out and getting expanding that concept of gamer to be a lot more folks, parents that have never gamed before, folks in senior citizens' homes. And then going beyond that, smartphones and tablets have exposed millions of people to really simple, easy, cheap, sometimes free video games there. And so as gaming becomes more accessible, more mainstream, the business model that is most appealing and most likely to succeed, according to Mr. Moore, is the free-to-play model. What do you think, Mark? Do you think that, th- that it's inevitable that a majority of all games end up going this route and that we rarely see a $60 game anymore? I don't know. I mean, it seems like the $60 games are doing pretty well right now. I mean, I would like it to be free-to-play and where most games can be, you know, where you can grab them with, uh, you know, a digital download and try them out, either be they console or PC-based or what have you. Um, you know, and then when you're ready to make the commitment, you you start to shell out some money to, you know, get to open up more levels to the, or, you know, open chapters to the game or go with the episodic kind of thing. I kind of like that idea, but do you see, I I haven't seen any kind of financials to show that the game industry is hurting right now with their typical $60 or to $70 price point for consoles. Are you, are you? Yeah. The, the year over year quarterly reports have been Uh down consistently for like the last one or two years across the board for console manufacturers, for game stores, for game publishers overall. Just it things kind of peaked back in 2008 and 2009 when we had the whole rock band, the Guitar Hero frenzy going on. Everybody oh, yeah. had to get a Wii. And then there's all these people that were really just starting to get into multiplayer Call of Duty. And it was just a huge, huge boom. And as the casual people just kind of like went, eh, I'm just going to play Angry Birds on my phone. And the music game fad died. So did the business. Mm, And without a new piece of hardware, since one usually comes every five years, now we're in two years, six and seven, uh, that there just hasn't been a jolt to the business. And so I'm not surprised you're somebody making this kind of hypothesis. I don't think it will be that dire. I think that, the market for free-to-play games, the selection and the quality of games you get is going to greatly expand. Mm-hmm. But I think no matter what, just as with books or with magazines or with newspapers, for many, 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 many more years, there will still be a small group, a niche market, so to speak, that will pay for those big games. There may not be as many big ones, and maybe there will be a lot more sequels, but there will still be people willing to play, pay for retail games. I just don't see it. Well, do you think um, this will change the budget that games receive? Yeah. Because the, the $60 games can have some pretty huge budgets, but yeah, if you're talking about something that, you know, it's almost like a you're hedging your bets with each game, like, well, will this model be compelling enough to keep, you know, people playing it, you know, 
will we have to will we just try and get a something really basic going and then charge them for you know um, DLC pretty much every step of the way and we'll develop it like JIT just in time development or you know how how will we see the end of multi million dollar efforts to you know build these these like huge franchises yeah i think it's going to be more piecemeal if not episodic mm-hmm. and i kind of like how telltale does their games where it's like all right we're going to release Jurassic Park or Walking Dead or Back to the Future in five different episodes and hope that a bunch of people buy it the full season subscription so to speak and help justify it but yeah I think also Kickstarter is an example of that yeah we're getting new games and franchises that are dormant or that we've long wanted to be sequelized but they're inevitably going to be smaller games because these people are asking for small budgets to make these big games yeah uh so yeah, I definitely think that budgets are going to go down. But maybe Kickstarter is also an illustration that once things level out, we'll still have a broad variety of yeah, that's true. options to choose from, just not perhaps as grandiose. Unless you're Electronic Arts. That'd be really funny to see see the next Gears of War on Kickstarter. <laughs> I can't imagine that. That would be pretty funny. Though. <laughs> Come on, help us get this thing going. Oh, pretty yeah, actually, interesting. Uh, yeah, and um, that's the end of our, our futurist section. We have two more sections. They're shorter than the first section in Intergeton. First of all, the financial section, or actually the second part this of our Intergeton. The Wall Street Journal section. Yes. Gaikai. We've talked about Gaikai, Gaikai. a few times. Yep. We've talked Jason about likes that to say Gaikai stupid a name. Lot. Stupid game. Stupid name. Yeah. Stupid name. Not stupid game. What was I, I mean, thinking? To its credit, I never thought it would succeed. No. Because online either. was already out there. And it's like, is there really a market for another streaming subscription video game service? Yeah. But apparently there is. And yet the light is showing at the end of the tunnel for the people involved in that business because the owners of the company, Gaikai, are apparently trying to sell it. They've hired lawyers to get it sold, and they're looking they're looking to, at all sorts of different opportunities from hardware manufacturers, such as Nintendo and Sony, Microsoft, or even cable companies like Comcast and Warner Brothers and AT&T. I can see it, though. I mean, that would be... That would be pretty pretty hard to compete against if, say, um, Comcast, you know, for instance, said, yep, we're going to buy this. It'd be kind of their revenge on the, the uh, consoles who are streaming all the digital stuff across their their digital networks, you know? Like, yeah, that, have... that makes sense. It's like, hey, you don't need to buy a console. We'll yeah. just bundle streaming gameplay with your Dish Network box or your Comcast box. Yeah, why not? integrate it in there and then boom suddenly you don't need your you don't need an xbox or care or and you no longer have to do the um the hardware upgrade process anymore you know you're suddenly you've got something that no matter how many frames per second you want it as long as the streaming thing works um you know you've got it no more next gen console angst yeah yeah, I, I really am curious if we ultimately go to a model like this, Mark, where there's no platform, who lives and who goes away? 
Oh, it's a crazy thought. It's interesting, too. I mean, when you think about, well, you might be renting the rights to play these games instead of actually buying them. Um, and it's kind of like something that's been happening to me with music where I've been going, you know, I used to always just have the collection, you know, in the old days it was tapes and CDs and, you know, dare I say LPs. And, and now it's all, you know, MP3s and I have this collection of MP3s, but with, with, you know, services like Pandora and Spotify, I'm kind of like not so concerned about, you know, acquiring the latest, you know, album from some band because I can just have it digitally at my fingertips no matter where I am. I can have it on my computer. I can have it streaming on my phone. I can listen to it while I run or do something like that. And it's like, what if the games were all like that too, where you just didn't even care, um, you know, what you, you didn't, like the new game comes out, you're like, well, I don't need to buy it. I'll just play it on my, my Comcast rig or whatever. I mean, it's it's a crazy thought, but it could happen, I suppose. I wouldn't be surprised if it went that way. It's, it is really weird to think about that. But as I've started tra to transition to pure digital music and books myself, I can definitely see that being feasible. Oh, yeah. Not necessarily something I'm in a rush to get into just because I'm so used to how it's been, but it could definitely be simplified. Yeah, it would. I mean, and that's kind of the one thing I've always wanted is one set-top box. You know, I don't want to have a 360. I don't want to have a, you know... Um, my my cable box i don't want to have all this crap um mm -hmm. you know for streaming um vi you know netflix or whatever i would like to just have one thing and then my tv and that would be awesome i just keep it simple you know yeah. i don't like to, i don't like the spaghetti you get behind your 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 entertainment rig right now with all these different things i agree the fewer wires the better yeah so also in the financial section you found a couple good Crazy stories about Blizzard and Diablo three. Yeah, I just couldn't believe when I, I I read it and then I wrote like and I wrote like Boggle after it because it just was like what the hell. So Blizzard is offering full refunds to South Korean Diablo three purchasers. Why you may ask? Well, let's see. It says here. Um, Okay, in a new post on the Korean Diablo 3 site, Blizzard now says that players who are less than level 40 will be able to submit for a refund between June 25th and July 3rd. Those who are less than level 20 can also return the game up to 14 days after their purchase from this point forward. Players will also receive a free 30-day trial for StarCraft Wings of Liberty. I guess this is due to the fact that They've had a lot of problems with oversubscribed servers, so they haven't been able to properly deliver the the games to the people. So as bad as people, as much as people were going just apeshit after the launch of Diablo 3 here, apparently if you're in South Korea, it was far, far, far worse and continues to have problems because they just, I guess, did not um, prepare their infrastructure for it correctly. Now, one might think, well, it is South Korea. They are crazy. Um, they are more crazy about Blizzard than even Mark here. But, uh, you know, which is, I'm a pretty crazy Blizzard fanboy. But compared to, to those guys, I'm just, you know, I'm just a, I want to be, I guess. But yeah, that, what do you think? No, I mean, did, can you, does it seem even fair that, the, <laughs> I, I mean, and I don't mean fair compared to the rest of the world. Is it fair for the players? I mean, they're giving them a, 
they're going to get a refund, but if they're less than 20, they can, they, oh, let me make sure I get this right. They can return the game up to 14 days after their purchase from this point forward. So what if they're level 41? Nope. Somehow. No Does refund. That means mean like, yeah, you were, you were able to circumvent our, our shitty infrastructure and managed to get to 41. So nothing, no, no discount for you, huh? No yeah, it's kind of weird, the boundaries that were outlined for whether yeah. you're eligible for a refund or not. It seems kind of arbitrary. It does. It just seems really odd, It's and it's just such an unheard of... Well, they're probably of. basing it off of player stats, like maybe only... Uh, or may, maybe there's a... That's the tipping point that, like, 60% of people have gotten to level 40 or higher, and so it's not a big financial loss for Blizzard to take care of the 40%. There's probably some ratio where it's like, it sounds generous, but we already can tell that people are really excited about this game. We struggled to get through it. Uh, We can accommodate these people under this unexpected consumer protection law. It is weird too, because normally when something like this happens, they give you a free month or they give you something free down the road, you know, but this is like an actual refund. But the funniest part to me was the just the thought that anyone in South Korea doesn't already have StarCraft Wings of Liberty. Like that's like that's a possibility that that 30 day free trial would actually be applicable for anyone living in that country. Because we know they're crazy about StarCraft over there. Right. I mean, yeah, that's definitely I mean, the bigger game over that, there. That's the number one franchise over there. So it's it's almost I thought for sure they'd like off from the a free WoW Pandarian, you know, um uh, expansion or something. Something with like you know, something almost an, insulting. But to say, well, you can have a 30-day free trial of StarCraft Wings of Liberty is just laughable. <laughs> but that's not as good as our other story, which is um there's okay, so the 1.03 patch of Diablo 3 has a as an added feature, and and this is due to some something going on with their being unable to confirm the legitimacy of digital downloads. So the new patch has put in a restriction, so you don't get full content access for up to three days if you're a digital downloader from this point forward. If it's patched to 1.03, well, you have to patch it to 1.03 to play it on their servers. So unless you have an illegal illegal server that you're playing on, which at that point you would say, well, why didn't you just, you know, also get an illegal client? Um, you're pretty much going to be stuck with the the uh, for three days. You'll be stuck with the first ten levels, basically. So I find that to be just really, really unfortunate. The fact that they've done they've done this to try to, you know, get around this. Um, hole in their defenses is just really bad because nobody is going to take that long unless they're uber casual, which is almost a contradictory term. Um, <laughs> but, you know, like they're very passionate about their casual gaming. But, um, yeah, I mean, the thought that it would take you three days to get through, you know, to kill King Lorik or whatever, it seems highly unlikely. What do you well, think? Yeah, if think- you're purchasing the game on a Friday, you're pretty much screwed. You're hosed. Yeah, you you would. I would say it definitely uh, incentivizes you to just go buy a physical copy, which doesn't have this issue. But I've, yeah. I'm as you were saying, I'm really big on the digital thing right now. Of course, being an Epic 
Blizzard fanboy. I bought the collector's edition, which is a physical thing. So I didn't. But it's pretty sweet. Which is pretty sweet. Yeah, I like it. But yeah, yeah, yeah I, I don't know. We've heard so many stories over the last couple of years about companies like Ubisoft or Electronic Arts going to great extremes to protect themselves from piracy. And we've never really heard Blizzard making that big of a deal out of it. Yeah. And maybe it's because they've been spoiled by so many years of guaranteed revenue by a subscription-based game that once they had to go back to, oh my gosh, a game that doesn't require a monthly subscription fee. Oh my gosh, now we're really sensitive about pirates. It's like they are going above and beyond and being obnoxious about this piracy bullshit from the always required online uh, thing to putting lots of the must-have items into an online auction house. And then this crap of like, oh, you're not going to get your game until we get our money. It's just like the most money-grubbing bullshit I've seen from any company. It's really a sad thing to see out of Blizzard. I mean, this is... uh. Between this and the thing about South Korea, I just was looking at some of the details. So it restricts you to the starter edition of the game for those three day, up to three days, right? Um, that caps your character at level 13, and you can't get beyond the end of Act 1. So mm-hmm. you can end Act 1, and then you're stuck. So you can make all your characters get to the end of Act 1, but it also prohibits auction house access, Multiplayer matchmaking with anyone who is not also using a starter edition or is in the same re- or in the same region. So you're really isolated, and what it apparently is due to is not some problem with their infrastructure. It's just a policy based on payment verification due to the way the credit card industry works in general or the payments industry works in general. I had initially, when I scanned it, thought it was something that they were this was a temporary problem and they were going mm-hmm. to move beyond it this is a policy mm-hmm. so it's even worse in a lot of ways and it yeah. uh, just really bums me out to see them going it's like this you would way. think that for a company that says that it's so into its fan base and its fans mean so much to it that it's you know it has its annual conventions and everything that it can't do the favor of extending a grace period Especially for a game that requires a flipping online connection and a Battle.net unique login. Oh, I know. Yeah. It's just like, can't you extend a courtesy window for these people that you haven't processed the money on? (laughs) I mean, is your business going to be that damaged if somebody sends you bogus financial information and finishes nightmare level in two days and then like goes to the doctor because of bladder problems or whatever i mean yeah. it's just like it's a little over the top yeah I, I, it's it's pretty sad i i yeah i'm just bummed to see them and, yeah and it's like you it's so counterintuitive to what i used to think of blizzard as because my first exposure to blizzard games was because they allowed you to do spawn copies and so you were able to bring in a oh, copy yeah. of starcraft one or warcraft Three and we do spawn copies and we all play uh, over a land and we didn't have to sign in to yeah authenticate ourselves in Battle.net and also their bull crap that is now required and it's just like they've gone from being so welcoming and encouraging to having their games be as accessible as possible to encourage sales to encourage loyalty to just like going the entire 180 
putting the iron curtain down as hard as possible, as fast as possible. And it's really disappointing. Yeah. I'd love to hear what your friend Ryan thinks about this because he's a pretty big. Yeah. The funny thing is, is I have a feeling he would say something in support of them. He's, I think he's even more of an apologist for them than you are. <laughs> uh, Cause when I talked about, the whole, I, I talked funny. to them offline about the auction house thing. Oh yeah. I remember how Jason was really up in arms about it. And we kind of thought it was lame too. And Ryan's like, Oh, well it makes sense because of this, this, this. And I'm just like, wow. Okay. And it wasn't that he had, I didn't feel like he was bullshitting me or giving me some kind of corporate PR line or anything, but it's just a, uh, yeah, he has a way of, being able to argue the business point of view to justify it, but uh, man, I don't. (laughs) I just think of things in the broad brush strokes that I unfortunately look at things as, and I think of what StarCraft 1 and and the old Blizzard was compared to the new Blizzard. And it's just, that disparity is is not really cool. Not at all, no. The last section of our life's, of our, 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 our intergetum since we're now approaching the one hour mark uh, <laughs> unexpectedly is the lifestyle section. And we figured the lifestyle section would be the best place to put in an interview from CD project red, the developers of the Witcher and the upcoming cyberpunk RPG talking about oh, yeah. the use of sex in games, particularly in their games and in, in the Witcher games and also drawing a parallel to the use of sex in their games to HBO's game of Thrones. Yeah, that's television true. series. Well, what's really funny about that is I I had um, seen the Game of Thrones series before I read the books, right? So I saw I was halfway through season one before I started actually reading the books that they're based on. And at the time, I had this firm belief that the sex in the uh, TV series was just part of the HBO formula, which was. Um, you know, every 20 minutes or so, there has to be some kind of sexual innuendo or nudity involved because they figure people's attention span is just on the precipice of dropping off. <laughs> and so they do that to keep you excited and, and keep you coming back. You know, you so at least get to see um, something kind of erotic at least twice during every episode. And it seems to have held true. Or there's just moments of incredible discomfort around something sexual, which is held true, I think, in most of their <laughs> series. Um, so that was my theory. And then somebody had mentioned, oh, actually, the books are not light on the sex either. And, uh, yeah, I can confirm that now, that actually they're just kind of telling the story as the books do. Um, but, yeah, it's an interesting interview because they draw parallels between um, the use of of it in between the Witcher and the Game of or the Witcher franchise and the in Game of Thrones, and I thought it was pretty interesting, really. Yeah, and I liked how he brought kind of a whole European sensibility about it. True, 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 true. For Europe and for Poland, where CD Projekt Red is from, it's kind of sex isn't taboo. It's just a part of who people are. It's a part of basic motivations and part of being. Uh, a biological and hormonal driven person. Right. People are intrigued. Sometimes involuntarily, they have a reaction to sexual stuff. Whereas in America, which was started by Puritans, (laughs) there is still a centuries long taboo and tension about anything sexual where in the Witcher one had those little sexual trading cards in the game. And 
a lot of people focused on that first and foremost versus the rest of the game and the story and the world. And just like, oh, my gosh, there's these sex cards in the game. And he's like, gosh, it was just kind of stupid because in Europe they didn't care. Right. And, and he acknowledges that there's definitely an undeniable appeal, especially in a, in a in an industry that has a very strong male presence and male audience and demographic. There's definitely a, a value to game developers to put titillating and erotic stuff in their games because it's like, well, guys are going to want to buy that or they're going to want to see it. Uh, but he always has felt much as it was in game of Thrones. And it's also in the Witcher. It's just part of real life. It's a part of the world. And if yeah. you're not using it completely just to be trashy for trashy sake, and it's actually part of the story or it's a part of the character, it's defensible and it's not outlandish or uh, prurient or whatever the word is that I can't think of. Yeah, no, I agree. I, I think it's, I, I didn't ever think it was out of hand with The Witcher or and The Witcher 2. I didn't make it very far in, so I'm, I, I need to get back to that game. But I, I didn't feel like sex was being, you know, leveraged as like the main component of the gameplay. I thought it was just like you say, a part, like a part of life. And I think that the the kind of the more of the European um, presentation of it as just an aspect of life seems more genuine than the way we seem to look at it in a, in the States where it's like a forbidden taboo, mm-hmm. you know, just regular plain old sexual attraction is like, Ooh, let's not even <laughs> go there. And it's like, yes, yeah, so let's pretend we are all focused solely on the the mission or whatever the plot is. And that we, we, you know, make all the characters incredibly, um, you know, unexciting. And, you know, I, it just seems really unrealistic. So I, I thought The Witcher was really cool um, in the way that they handled that. I liked the little cards. I thought they were cool. And, you know, it was a long time before people in the U.S. could actually get the cards that were not, um, you know, where the, the, the nudity wasn't covered up. It was oh, wow. one of the later releases before you could actually get the the originals. They had been edited so that they were not fully nude. <laughs> Man, I haven't heard of that kind of crap since the NES era. Yeah, it's just really it's silly. Interesting article, though. Yeah, yeah, definitely check it out. It's over on Rock, Paper, Shotgun. Our last story in the lifestyle section, it's a little bit more political in nature. It actually comes from a website that focuses on political issues. And the article... In question, it's from IVN.us, IVN standing for Independent Voters Network. Obviously, we're going into political end, but well, this isn't explicitly political. It's talking about how the overall crime rate in the U.S. has continuously been going down for the last several decades, and there's not been uh, a lot of understanding why, what's driving it. There have been some hypotheses that well, law enforcement has gotten stricter. The three strikes and your out rules have uh, been implemented and jail time has been more forcibly enforced. And so people are more discouraged. But what was kind of interesting and the author of this story's point of view was that he felt, Brad is the writer, he felt that actually a combination of factors have helped basically placate 
the biggest source of criminals, which are young folks from age 18 to, um, I think, eight from 15 to 29. That makes up 53.6% uh, percent of all criminals, <laughs> that age right. bracket, and or of people who are arrested. He thinks that those people having access to video games and pornography that provides them outlets to things that normally they would commit a crime to get access to, <laughs> whether it's wrecking a car or robbing a place, killing somebody or having some crazy fantasy that they can take care of that curiosity or that need digitally staying inside, not going outside to cause trouble, cause crime, just staying at home, getting their rocks off there. That's actually that the technology and that accessibility to a wide range of entertainment has potentially been the reason why crime is going down in combination with increased buying power right. <laughs> and marijuana apparently has been calming criminals down. What do you well, think about this theory? There's a couple of interesting points to it. The one that really I thought was kind of interesting was the one that says that, um, the sheer, um, what's the word for it? That all the the different types of pornography available on the internet makes it makes it possible for people that are unable to satisfy their sexually deviant or criminal desires. Um, it, it allows for them to satisfy that by finding the right pornography online. <laughs> <laughs> I definitely thought this was kind of one of the uh, sketchier parts of the argument. Yeah, and that was the one I just gravitated towards. Was like, a, oh my gosh, I can't believe they said that out. It's just, it's really especially funny. since some of it is totally illegal. <laughs> yeah, the other one that I didn't think was very was highly likely was that the increase in marijuana smoking by younger people um, is probably causing them to commit less crime. I mean, I wouldn't. I'm not saying that um, marijuana smoking causes you to commit more crime. I just don't think it causes you to. I don't think it affects your your criminal. <laughs> um, uh, what would you say? Your your odds of create of committing a crime one way or the other, if whether or not you're on marijuana, it might make you drive a lot slower. But uh, you know, I'm not sure about the other thing. But <laughs> What I'd always heard and had believed to be true was that um, the the decreased crime rate was due to the white uh, well to the Roe versus Wade decision in the 70s, where you know in in some locations at least abortions were available and the proliferation of um, birth control and sexual edu sex education and things like that. So people were not being forced to um, have unwanted children. And so because of that, the crime rate was going down um, or would go down in cases where that happened and then would go back up when you had a whole bunch of kids that were born, you know, to parents who weren't really that excited about the prospect. Um, kind of that whole n nature nurture thing. So that was what I had always heard. And they mentioned it in this, but I don't know that video games, like being able to, play Grand Theft Audio, Auto and oh, I don't know why I can't say Grand Theft Auto, but being able to play that or like Saints Row or something like that, I don't know 
that that would by by enacting it in a fantasy sense that then you wouldn't you know be compelled to still rob a bank because you just need the money you know what i mean i don't think that a lot of crime is done because people just are looking for a thrill i mean certainly the sexual predators and stuff that's totally different but crimes where you're you know trying to to get get something by committing the crime something tangible like money i don't think that um playing video games is going to solve that for them so i don't, I don't <laughs> you know yeah. Well, I'm a like it's like wow because of my vast amounts of gold in the auction house in World of Warcraft. I don't. I'm not just. I'm just not feeling this 7-Eleven robbery tonight at two in the morning. That we're <laughs> so, yeah, I and I also what, think there's a slippery slope where, uh, and I'm certainly no psychologist, but I have heard whether it's scientifically proven or not that people that can get access to stuff that indulges them in fantasies of whatever sort, if it's intangible, it eventually, it becomes an addictive process that ultimately doesn't become enough. And that contrary to be like, Oh, I've, I've released that need. I don't need to uh, do it. It's like, I want more of it. And this simulation of it isn't real enough. I know that I could, that if I try, I can make it, this seem real or I can get this in the real world and uh, the the statistics here the author would probably argue run counter to that that people aren't encouraged by killing somebody in Grand Theft Auto to run out and do it but I would propose that people who are not completely stable might go down that path maybe not everybody well I, I read a really interesting oh absolutely yeah, yeah. I I read a really interesting article on sex addiction by a guy who was like a you know a recovering sex addict and he had said that for him it all started with online pornography that was the beginning of his problems and that it went from that to ever increasing and he was married too I guess and then he was like going to massage parlors and strip clubs and then that went to another level and pretty soon he was, you know, <laughs> he was, uh, you know, had a problem with prostitutes and stuff. And it was just like, oh, my God, you know, and wow. it's it all started with pornography. And it was like an acquired needs kind of situation where mm-hmm. suddenly this didn't solve this didn't work for him. He needed more. And it went from, you know, virtual to real to destroying his life pretty much. Um, yeah. That's just one case. But I kind of his number one like recommendation to people that were in support groups was, you know, stay away from pornography. <laughs> so I thought that was kind of interesting and, and, as opposed to indulge in it as much as possible, because then you won't want to, you know, stray too far from wherever, you know, so pretty interesting stuff. But yeah, I think this article is pretty, pretty wacky. Um, like most Things that are based on statistics, it just you can use them to tell any story you want, pretty much. That's you know, so true. Mm-hmm. By what you leave out and what you include, you can pretty much manipulate. You can begin with a conclusion and support it or not. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, but it's interesting reading, nonetheless. Definitely. Listeners, that wraps up our intergeddon. <laughs> yes, that was quite an intergeddon. That was that was an um, that was massive. <laughs> For some podcasts, that would be a full episode, but not, but not here at Channel Massive. <laughs> <laughs> no, 
We aim to please. <laughs> if you have any comments or thoughts on any of our intro-get-in topics, send them into mail. M-A-I-L. At channelmassive.com. Up next, we're going to get into your recent listener feedback. Tall and thin and young and lovely, the gal from Ipanema goes walking and This episode of Channel Massive is sponsored by UGT Servers. When you order Ventrilo hosting from UGT, you get all of the powerful administration features hardcore gamers want and the ease of use that newbie gamers need. With 24-hour tech support, 13 locations worldwide, and a 15-day money-back guarantee, you'd be crazy not to check them out. Head to UGT-Servers.com for all of your Ventrilo hosting needs. Any other podcast, this would we would already be done, and the host would be sleeping now, recovering from a long episode. But no, we are going <laughs> to press on, and we're at that exciting part where we get to uh, wake ourselves up, so to speak, because we're going to cover listener feedback that's come in. Um, the first piece is from uh, Agamemnon, who writes in. Congrats, guys. I'm just listening in to, to it today. Been a rough few weeks at work with projects. I think I'm right up there with Jason and Eric on the Diablo 3 playtime. I hit level 35-ish mage playing Nightmare Mode on it, and I'm up in the desert area again. It's been tough going in Nightmare Mode with the sheer number of pow- and power of mobs. I've had to adjust my playstyle for the extra threat and slowdown. I'm still enjoying it, but have yet to play the Demon Hunter, Witch Hunter, or Barbarian. I had to wait a few weeks to play it after launch due to, one, my useless GameStop down here in the south didn't have it in stock yet again. <laughs> oh, man, that's evil. Um, and two, had to wait for the next paycheck to pick it up due to bill time um, of the month, etc., Yeah, that's never fun when those coincide. Um, So far, I'm feeling kind of let down with Diablo 3. I mean, it's challenging on the the first and even more on the second playthrough, but it's just really not all that fun. It is addicting, addicting gameplay, though, not just as fun as the others were to me. It's like clicking a button to get a food pellet from monkeys. Push more buttons <laughs> faster, harder, and get more pellets. It's too quick <laughs> fast to me, and the acts are just way too short. Seems like the whole game would fit into one act of Diablo to me. The repetitiveness kind of gets irritating playing it through again on a harder mode. There's just no change up, and the story is just too short. They could have at least made the initial stories different for each class starting out. I mean, hell, even WoW does that with each race getting its own starter area, all of them, even if you do end up in the same city eventually. I have heard some great news, though, this past week after watching E3 Live on G4. Oh, that would be cool. Um, Elder Scrolls Online. I'm getting that Skyrim hype feeling in my loins. Now, that was... (laughs) Clearly him talking, me just reading. <laughs> <laughs> Clearly. Short, not much. It looks beautiful, but no dragons and, <laughs> and set back in Daggerfall era before the Imperials. Mark, I was um, just thinking, I'm like, what can I do about with that audio recording of you talking about feeling things in your loins? <laughs> <laughs> it's now been recorded for all eternity. Oh. Listeners, just take a note. <laughs> now we'll never escape from it. <laughs> 
You're going to make some kind of musical thing with it, aren't you? A remix of some sort of dance I, remix. me feeling in my loins. Yeah, I you can auto-tune. Yeah. <laughs> my loins. You could do, <laughs> do like some kind of power metal version or something. Um, <laughs> anyway, I'm liking the idea of it. The clans sounds meh so far. I'm worried that it'll turn out to be a generic fantasy MMO with an Elder Scrolls skin, but I guess we'll see. Well, I always kind of thought the Elder Scrolls were kind of generic. That's just Mark here talking. <laughs> Clearly. Uh, I just can't see the single-player experience from the series fitting in with the online game. I was the hero in the series, and going into some castle and seeing Fartknocker23 and Hobo the Clown and others running around... <laughs> Lame that dungeon was will take away the immersion like it does MMOs. That's a great example. By the way. I love that. Hobo the clown. You know, <laughs> what this kind of reminds me of, bless Eric, but his hobo superhero, uh, like oh, a urination a attack. Urine. Yeah, that, is, that would surely be. There's got to be a hobo the clown in uh, DCUO just for that. But. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, Agamemnon continues. I'm not sure the multiplayer experience the experience will lend well to the world. I just don't want to see it ruined. This is a long episode. I'll cut it off here. Smiles, Agamemnon the Reckoning. Thanks for so much for writing in. Um, yeah, I haven't. I've got right to where you were in Diablo three, and I've kind of quit playing it for now. Um, partially because it was hard, and I was waiting for that next patch to come out, which was supposed to make um, Nightmare <laughs> the easy button patch. Yeah, I was waiting for like, the easy button patch, where all you have to do is just hit your giant-sized return key button on the uh, keyboard, and everything just gets easier. That was my hope, anyway, and how they would pull that. But. Uh, yeah, and I have the same concerns for Elder Scrolls Online, although I'm looking forward to seeing it. I have the same concerns for Neverwinter Nights Online as well as kind of what you've discussed, so we'll see. But thanks again for writing in. Yeah, it you was know. worth it to me listening to that whole email to talk to hear about Fartknocker23 saying, that oh, castle was lame. <laughs> it was a lame dungeon right as you're going in. Because <laughs> we have all experienced that in every MMO that happens. Oh. Absolutely, yeah. You're just like, oh, right, I'm ready to rock. And they're like, oh, man, don't do it. It's like, take my word for it. You don't need to do that. And you're like, but that's the first one for the whole... Oh, the whole series is crap, too. Actually, what you really want to do is just start doing some PvP. And you're like, no, that's not what I'm here for. You know, it's like, I'm sure that's exactly how it's going to be. Plus, there'll be some equivalent to Baron's chat in there. <laughs> Chuck yes. Jones jokes. And, you know, it'll, it's, yeah, it's going to happen. It will yeah. happen. It will happen to any MMO. It's definitely going to happen there. So, Anyway. <laughs> Great email. We also got a long email from Julian, one of our guest writers on ChannelMaster.com. Great to hear from Julian again. He wrote in and said, Hey, guys, catching up on the podcast slowly but surely. I freaking loved episode 200. You guys should have big panels a bit more often because the amount of gamer love going around that roundtable was awesome. Though, to be honest, I actually didn't mind the skit show extravaganza you guys did for episode 50. And thus, I'm now calling for a Channel Massive Christmas special. <laughs> Christmas special. <laughs> nice. I can only imagine. That's usually when I'm sick and my yeah. voice is two octaves lower. That is, yeah, they usually go, hello, ladies. <laughs> That's my one sexy time of the year. Mm hmm. <laughs> so we'll have he a makes the sexy time. time special. Yeah. Yeah. Julian continues, now get ready for a ramble. 
And I love this next part of Julian's email. With regards to the Tomb Raider discussion you had in episode 202, I disagree completely with the remarks that, quote-unquote, breaking a character has anything to do with the gender of the protagonist. Prior to the reboot, Lara Croft was a pair of boobs with guns that I had absolutely no interest in getting near for anything aside from the pure curiosity engendered in every male by a pair of boobs that shoots bullets. That is sexism. What they've done now is not womanize Lara. They've humanized her. To give a recent non-female example, Ezio from Assassin's Creed is a super badass, so much so that people tend to forget that within the first hour of Assassin's Creed 2, he has to watch, and he's only 16 at the time, as a family friend hangs his father and brothers, one of whom is like 10. Meanwhile, his mother and sister are being raped by soldiers, an event which scars his mother into a state of shock in which he doesn't talk to anyone for over seven years. If that's not breaking a character and forcing them to rebuild into a badass, I don't know what is. And Ezio was a dude. In fact, you could argue that Lara overcoming all the stuff thrown at her is one of the greatest forms of empowerment, regardless of gender. Rather than pulling an Ezio's mom, she pulls an Ezio, and not only survives in a hostile environment, but eventually overcomes it through sheer force of will. Crystal Dynamics have made a Lara Croft that I am actually interested in seeing develop as a character. March 5th, 2013. Can't come soon enough. Anyway, keep up the awesome work. I may not always write in, but I am always listening. Much like Sexy Girl 69 and He She's attempts to seduce Mark. Where did that wonderfully seductive man-woman go? Well, Julian, for a small fee, we can make Sexy Girl 69 available to you (laughs) in the hotel room of your choice at an hourly rate. (laughs) We can. Dreams can come true. Can come true. (laughs) He, she will be available for (laughs) (laughs) pleasure slash horror at any time. We can find he she <laughs> wherever he she lurks. <clears throat> so yeah, kudos to Julian for taking an unpopular stance about the Tomb Raider reboot that's coming around the corner. I was not able to put his position as eloquently when we talked about this with Terran. Mark and Terra were pretty much against it. They didn't like what was shown in the E3 demos because <clears throat> I mean the the most standard example that was most frequently cited was that one of the crazy madmen on the, the island that Lara's uh, shipwrecked on threatens to rape her. And people are like, oh, my God, this is about, like, rape porn and da-da-da-da-da. And just taking this to the worst extremes uh, that it could possibly be uh, postulated to and saying that this was horrible and the game should be boycotted and so on and so forth. But if it's done well and there's no the jury is out until we actually get to see the game in full. If it's done well, it could be a memorable and exciting character development story. If it's exploitative, which some people are already assuming it and accusing of it of being, then yes, I can definitely understand Taron Mark's point of view. But for now, in the hopes that there's another Tomb Raider game that I'm actually interested in, much as Julian put it, I'm hoping that it's going to be well done. I know it's a lot to expect a good story from video games, but they do happen every once in a while, and we'll see if this ends up being one of those. So thank you, Julian, for the really good points. Well, 
I'm just going to stick up for Tear in, in, in my previous opinion by saying, well, they should just call it Womb Raider then. <laughs> <laughs> There's nothing wrong with you and Tear having a... <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's different from mine. It's just the only time that Tara and I have ever agreed ever in the history of like the world as we know it. So I cherish that moment because <laughs> it will never happen again. <laughs> like most likely. <laughs> but no, actually, I think our point was more was not so much after we talked about it. I, I not to belabor this, but I think our point was more about. We were more interested in more advanced gameplay in the series than trying to break down and rebuild the character, no matter what literary device they were, you know, using to do it. Um, much like the last Tomb Raider, that what was that dang game I can never remember, the Guardian of Light or whatever the hell yeah, that was. Yeah, that's right. That was so awesome that I would much rather have seen them focus on that and making more like that um, than going to redo the backstory. If they were going to do this, I'd rather see it done in a movie, to be honest with you. But Yeah, the Tomb Raider uh, movies are kind of eh. That's what I mean. Like, <laughs> keep the gameplay rocking and just make a damn movie to explain this particular. But it's a game company, so, you know, what are you going to do? They want to be artists. Are there? Yes. Tell their story one pixel at a time. <laughs> so thank you, Julian and Agamemnon, for yes. fantastic feedback. We look, for, we look forward to hearing from you again. Maybe uh, Tara's going to send another angry email. Yes. <laughs> about we'll the see. time war. <laughs> <laughs> or the casting of Doctor Who. <laughs> yeah, and we'll all have a hug. We'll hug it out afterwards. And uh, maybe she'll not hate me as much. <laughs> I can only hope. Yeah. <laughs> but that is all for listener feedback. We are now going to get into what we're playing. At long last... So Noah, what have you not been playing but wished you were playing? <laughs> I have not played any games for a week and a half now, maybe two weeks. Do you have like shakes and stuff? Are your hands shaking? Are you like, are you, do you do you have like loss of bladder control and other side effects? <laughs> <laughs> of course, you always go to the bladder control issues. <laughs> well, you know. <laughs> Talk about what you're familiar with. <laughs> That's what they say. <laughs> you know, I only have a you know finite supply of Depends around the house here. <laughs> My own personal problems. Heaven forbid you'll have to share. <laughs> to, if I run out of those, I have to use my three-year-old daughter's diapers, and they are far smaller. <laughs> <laughs> actually, now that she's actually potty trained, I don't know where I'll find the little ones anymore. Hmm. Uh-oh. Quite un- but the thong-like feeling is kind of nice. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> That's so gross. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody thought what we were playing section would go this way, but yet here we are. <laughs> Maybe that's another title idea. I'm going to have to go and add that to the show notes up top. <laughs> <laughs> right now. <laughs> and now back to what we're playing. <laughs> Only good things can come of it. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I actually mentioned this on my Twitter, which I was dormant there for about a week. But if you're interested in listening to me talk about games all the time on Twitter, well, not all the time, but here and there, whatever I have to tweet about, it's usually games related. 
twitter.com slash this is Noah. But uh, the other day I noticed it's like, I haven't played video games in like a couple weeks and this is kind of weird. And people who just meet me or people who don't know me well and they come over to my apartment and they see all my video games, uh, they just like make this assumption that all I do is around the clock play video games. If only that were the case. The last time I played video games like that was when I lived with my parents. <laughs> and I just haven't had time to do that. And, you know, life gets in the way of things, especially right now. That's been the case for me. And I know, Mark, that you definitely have this issue with a whole family, way more to take care of than I do with my aquarium and my dog. <laughs> right, right. But I have, that is not to say that I have not hankered and really wanted to play some more Mass Effect 3. I also am really getting itchy to play League of Legends again. I was going to propose doing it tonight, but I have to do stuff for my coworkers tonight. Damn, but fuck? it's cool you're starting to get the uh, get the urge to do that again. That's really cool. Yeah, I really do want to play it again. Um, I want to play some more of Diablo 3 because unlike the rest of the world, I'm only like level 10 or 12. <laughs> and I'm playing the Barbarian. Unlike everyone oh, wow. else who seems to play the Wizard or the Witch Doctor. We're the right. demon pretty much anything but the Barbarian. And I think the Barbarian's pretty cool. I like him. Uh, so I'd like to play that, and I'd like to play some more Resident Evil Revelations. I take my game machines with me. I take my 3DS with me. I take my laptop with me. Uh, I look at my controller sitting on my table, my Xbox 360 controller. I've got the cool shiny Chrome one that's awesome. And I just patched League of Legends earlier tonight, but no playing is happening. No, no love. But no hopefully love. that is a promise of things to come. What about you, Mark? Well, it's been a really weird week because... I was really um, not excited about doing any gaming, and I kind of was like, you know, I'm not going to play any Diablo 3 this week. I'm just going to work on music and stuff. So I'd been just playing my guitar, and then all of a sudden I found myself playing Saints Row 2 one night. Now, how that happened, I have no idea. It was something I had gotten as some kind of a bundle. Yeah, um, uh -huh. the, the THQ yep. bundle. Yeah, so I was like, what is this anyway? I'd heard kind of good things about it. It's good. It's pretty fun, yeah. It's interesting, and it was so interesting that I downloaded Saints Row Three or which the third, is to be better, which is supposed to be better, and is really interesting the way it starts out. It's it's really hokey, but yeah, that's the appeal. It's over dramatic, and yeah, it's just kind of it's just really fun. And then I got into um, Super Brothers Sword and Sorcery. Oh, which is, I really want to play that. Yeah, so I tried that. I, I'm not. I'm not really far along in it, and I'm having some troubles just connecting with it, but it's kind of it's something I want to try take another crack at. And then finally, I downloaded the uh, Legend of Grimrock, which is like a uh, kind of like a a, a redo oh, of some. Yeah. Remember those old what were they Dungeon Master? Dungeon what were they? Crawlers? Were you yeah, they're like the old yeah one screen at a time. It's it's first person, but it's all slideshow. Yeah, well, after like going through all those different ones, I just totally ended up settling on Legend of Grimrock. So I've been playing that and just loving it. It's just so it's such an old school kind of nostalgic feel to it. It's a very familiar interface, um, and so I, I, God, I, I'm just loving it. You start out as these prisoners who are just dropped in this hole in the ground, basically, for as a party of four. You start with, and you have nothing. And you just start exploring and finding stuff and figuring out traps. And I made like two warriors, a, a rogue and a mage. 
and the mage is like learning spells and it's just really fun. You have the spells like the spell system is like real time. You have to like choose these glyphs and then click the go button to cast them and everything's real time with it. So like when a monster is hitting you, you're each character, you have to click a button to have them attack and everything. It's really, really fun though. And then I also on good old games, I downloaded like all of the Ultimas except Ultima nine and which you couldn't download. And then all of the wing commanders, but I haven't actually played those yet. Um, What about the wing commander remake? Did you get that? I got that, and I just played the beginning of it, and it just wasn't working for me. It wasn't, I don't know, didn't it wasn't that cool to, to play. I'd rather play the originals, I think, and get back into it that way. And they, plus they have all the voice acting with, like, um, um, what Mark is it, Malcolm, Mark Hamill and Malcolm McDowell, I think, or something. It's pretty crazy. So I want to check that out, and I want to get back into those old-school Ultimas, too, I have, actually, I have Ultima 9, you know, a physical copy of it, but all the old ones I had for different platforms that I no longer have, like Apple IIe, Commodore wow. 64, Amiga 500. Um, so, <laughs> uh, Taking me into Ready Player One flashback. May, maybe but... not Amiga 500. It might have been just Commodore 64 was the last one. But, uh, yeah, so I, I do have Ultima 9 for the PC, so I have all those. Um, and then Good Old Games has a special right now where it's got, like, Ultima Worlds, the two different uh, titles that came from there, which were a lot of people thought were really cool. Um, those are available for free right now. So nice. get your retro on there. Um, and then, of course, I have Commodore 64 Forever and Amiga Forever. Those came in. Uh, I think I oh, talked about gosh, that I cannot wait to see that. I need yeah. to see that. And I just, I've, I've installed them both, but I have to do some copying for the Amiga to get, like, the firmware over into the emulator, which I haven't read the directions yet. But for the Commodore 64, I was playing some really old-school game on there and just cracking up, because it was, it's like all of a sudden, you know, 20-some years just went past, and and there I was, you know, back in time. It was really weird. <laughs> the nostalgia was there. It was a game I had had actually had, you know, on disc for the Commodore 64, and I was playing it. Um, so that was kind of cool. So I was all retro in a lot of ways, except for the, the Saints Row stuff, I suppose. Um, and then um, I found this other cool thing. I've been still still working on the back burner on my little game to just kind of test stuff out and figure out how to write games for um, mobile platforms and stuff. And I found this really cool thing because... Everything I'm going to do is, like, pixel-based art, you know, um, with, like, 16 by 16 tiles. And they have this iPhone app called Pixation, um, and or it would work on a tablet, too. And I'm sure they have Droid equivalents where you can just pull this app up and work on, you know, pixel art anytime you're, you're, you have a chance with your phone. And it's pretty cool because it, you know, makes the little grids and you can load them into um, what, you know, your your sprite sequence or whatever you want to do. But I, I've been just screwing around with that, and I thought that was really cool because what, where better place to, to actually work on the art assets than on the actual platform you're trying to write the game for? No kidding. So that's pretty cool. I'm not really far along with it. Like I say, it's been kind of backburnered, but it's been something I've been working on. So I had a really diverse week of doing stuff, which was kind of cool. It made me really happy, actually. It was very satisfying. No Diablo 3, no League of Legends, but... And no Dota two, but a lot of fun. Wasn't it something that just quick tangent? 
Yeah. Hearing you talk about those first-person dungeon con- dungeon crawlers and retro games in general, there is this random story that I, I wasn't looking for and I didn't expect to find over on GameSpot. And I don't know if you ever played these Mac Venture adventure games from back in the day, but they were Shadowgate, Deja Vu, and Uninvited. And oh, there are these a series of these three um, adventure games that were also first person, and they were kind of the slideshow treatment where there were puzzles and you had to solve stuff, and you could die in these games. And they were some of the first adventure games that I ever played on a Nintendo because they were ported across so many different platforms, particularly Shadowgate. And Shadowgate was really popular on the NES. Mm-hmm. And apparently the original people that worked on it, their company was bought out by somebody else, and then they were eventually shut down. They got stuck in working on side-scrollers and all these other things that were trendy at the time back in the late 80s and early 90s. But now the guy, who one of the original founders of the company, has re-secured the rights and he's working on a remake of the original Shadowgate. Oh my or gosh. Release on iOS and Android and also on PC, which is wow. really cool. That so, is really, really cool. I'm excited to go back to those adventure games. I always have a, a spot in my heart for them. I, I was able to get through them. They were a little bit easy, but they were they were horror adventure games which are kind of atypical and just fun little puzzles and Apparently, the update that they're doing of Shadowgate, they made a version of it for the Palm, of all things, and half of the puzzles from the original game they threw out because they thought they were silly or illogical, and they came up with new ones. But that version of Shadowgate never really sold well, so they decided to use that one as the modern update of the game, which would be exci- which will be exciting for those of us who played the old version because we'll be getting an experience that's kind of both familiar and brand new unless you played the palm version. So something to look forward to. Yeah. Oh, that's way cool, man. Yeah. I love this kind of resurrection of all these classic, you know, game and game gameplay styles. I was just looking up legend of of Grimrock because I couldn't think of the right name, but it was based on these um, games that came out in the nineties dungeon dungeon master. Oh yeah, yeah. FTL and then the Eye of the Beholder series by SSI. Oh yeah, that's I think and, I know that one even more so. Yeah, me too. I played the heck out of those. What's really funny, and I'd forgotten about all this, was um, when you start to play Legend of Grimrock, you have a choice to go old school, and in that mode, it doesn't map anything for you. So you have to um, get out your graph paper, which I yeah. used to do religiously, especially with like Bard's Tale. Um, three and some of the other games like this, and you had to you had to make maps, and that was one of the coolest things in my life that I in my gaming life that I discovered with Bard's Tale Three was I was mapping these sewers, and I you know you you come in through a hatch at one point, and you're wandering around, and I was graphing it on paper, and I started to realize that as I kept going west, it was a repeating sequence, and actually the way they built the map was certain tunnels would just continue to the other side of the map. So it seemed like it was going on forever, but it was actually like a teleporter that you didn't know about. Uh, and they did that to go north and south and east and west, and it was really clever because my I had graphed pretty far before I realized I had a repeating pattern on my hands. But um, <laughs> I had like just tablets and tablets of graph paper from these games mapping everything out. I was relentless about it. 
So kind of like I was for that recent um, Ready Player One, the Stacks game, which was like really a nice throwback. But nonetheless, I chose not to go old school mode on this one. I'm enjoying <laughs> the map system, which I can bring up with the tab key. So way more efficient. Yeah, but that concludes my my personal weekend gaming. It's been really fun. Great. Well, I'm glad you brought up Ready Player One because that's going to come up in our next section. Generally. Excellent. Continuing a new tradition for Channel Massive, we're going to have a little quick segment. Sometimes it's quick. I think most times it's quick. Sometimes it'll be a little bit longer. This time I think it'll be quick on just other stuff that we're really excited about that is tangential to our video game love. It's related to our love of books or movies or sci-fi in general. And for I've got a few updates. Since I got a Blu-ray player, and since Amazon has been having some pretty good sales, I've been slowly requisitioning or acquiring Blu-ray collector sets of my favorite movie series. And Whoa. That's included Lord of the Rings, of course, followed by Star Wars, and then more recently Jurassic Park and Aliens. Like they had the Aliens four movie set on sale for like 30 bucks. Blu-ray. Oh, wow. That's not bad at all. Yeah, it's like if I can get it for that cheap, I think that it's worth it. And yeah. so one by one, I'm going through these old movies. And I just finished watching in little segments. It was like a serial thing because I only had like a half an hour to watch stuff. So I I watched Jurassic Park over like three or four sessions, the first one. And it's just as awesome as it used to be. And wow, I just forgot how. I remember that it was a scary movie. And it just was so well done. I mean, that was like the dawn of using CGI or computer graphics as special effects. I mean, it was a hybrid with Jurassic Park. There was both puppets and CG, but it's still pretty impressive. I mean, you can tell, even with, especially with the Blu-ray, because it's so clear, like, when, oh, that's kind of computer animated. Right. It's just done so well, and it was so suspenseful and scary. And I remember thinking, like, wow, this is a Steven Spielberg movie. And even when he's done scary stuff before, it hasn't been this scary, and it's kind of traumatizing for children, but, oh, it's so good because of that. So definitely recommend that. And, and continuing along the sci-fi slant, I hope to be seeing Prometheus tomorrow night so I can finally give some impressions. Oh, on. nice. Have you seen it yet, Mark? No, no, I want to see it, though, badly. Yeah, so if I'm a huge Alien fan. I liked Alien 1 and 2 quite a bit. So yeah, Alien, me too. Aliens. Yeah. yeah. Uh, that's that was what was in the back of my mind when I got that alien box. That is like I'm not as big on Aliens three and four, but the first two yeah. are awesome. And yeah, I, they are, and the, all of them. So we'll see how it all ties together. They, they the way they did Alien, it was kind of a weird. I mean, at the time it seemed odd. Uh, it holds up really well, I think, over a lot of other sci-fi. I remember, yeah, I I, I remember watching it. I think in the nineties. Yeah. Like, wow, this is really good. It's still really scary. Yeah. And I'm not sitting here thinking, like, these special effects are cheesy. It was just, it was well done. Yeah. It was, everything had this weird, and like, inside the sh their ship, the Nostromo or whatever, it seemed so, like, industrial, like you would expect a, some kind of a floating oil tanker or whatever yeah. it was to be, you know, but it just, like, now you see old science fiction and what people thought the ships would look like and you're a lot of them don't hold up nearly as well. So that's some really good stuff going on. But anyway, I digress. Definitely. 
You've returning you've returned to Xanth, huh? Yeah. In my my reading section, now that I finished Ready Player One, I had a lot of options. I thought I was gonna go into Game of Thrones, but I just can't stop compulsively reading Xanth. And it's such a nice, lighthearted, funny series that's really reliable and potentially formulaic, but it it's got enough new stuff every single time that I haven't gotten tired of it yet. So uh I'm now reading I think the tenth book in the Xanth series out of like 38. Nice. <laughs> so reading it way into old age. But <laughs> it's great. It's been a nice break and it's my first book that I'm reading on my Kindle. I got a traditional touch Kindle, not the Kindle Fire. No, those are nice though. I mean, they they don't they have that e-ink and they don't run out of power. Yeah, they, the battery charge lasts for weeks. And yeah. They're easy to read in low light and in high light, and they're yeah. easy lamps at night, which is usually when I like to read. Uh, the one thing that's been a bit of a disappointment is that it's like, oh, yeah, I'm finally going to the digital era. I can stop like stockpiling book after book after book because I love books and I have a lot of books. Um, but I thought one of the benefits of getting into ebooks is that it's supposed to be not only good for the planet but also more economically viable. I mean, that's kind of why the freaking – device is so expensive to begin with yeah. and it's really pissing me off that in a lot of cases the the copies of the books are more expensive than it would cost to just go and buy the paperback yeah i don't get that that's frustrating there are numerous instances like the, cheaper yeah like the xanth books or the dresden file books like oh, i can yeah. get them for paperback for like 4.95, 6.95. If I want to get the ebook version on Kindle that doesn't have any color, there's no cover art. Nine times out of ten, like the cool little Xanth map that's in all the paperback Xanth books, it's not in there, and yet it costs ten bucks. And it's just like WTF! Yeah. It makes me really mad. It feels like a big letdown. I'm like, yay! I finally have embraced this digital book uh, revolution, and. I'm getting screwed for being more environmentally friendly and less hoarder-esque with right. my book collection. Yeah, I, I know. I find it to be frustrating because, well, there's also that huge secondhand market for books, and with the e-books, you can't really do that. So That's true. Um, you know, when we were at the Ready Player One book signing, Jeff's girlfriend told us, she's like, well, that's all Apple's fault. Apple's been fixing the prices, and they lost a lawsuit about this, and prices are going to be normalized soon. I hope that's the case. Well, one other thing, though, too, is, and I don't know that a lot of people know this, but libraries are up on the ebooks right now. So your old good old library card works for <laughs> and do wonders. And that's the funny thing. That's that's the ironic thing, too, is because I was complaining about this to a, another friend of mine. And he's like, well, you know, I think I've heard about this place that you can get books for free. And I'm like, do you mean the library? And he's like, yeah. And I'm like, I know about that. Yeah. <laughs> But whatever. <laughs> Who knows? Maybe that's what it, that's what it's going to be. Yeah. That's what it's going to be. Fine. I'm going to go to the damn library and check books out. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty cool. I mean, I can't believe how they've managed to, uh, you know, keep up with the times and stuff. But they have pretty, you know, <laughs> a library's worth of digital books to be. You well, know, well, I'm glad you told out. me that because I was not in the loop. And if people out there have other tips on digital books, or if they have something that's exciting. For instance, I, I just bought a digital book tonight. There's this dude who self-published himself on Amazon, just like Fifty Shades of Grey, except this isn't an erotic S&M trilogy of novels. It's oh, a darn it. dystopian 
one of our favorites, a dystopian future <laughs> um, called Wool, W-O-O-L. And oh. these people live in silos and the world is ruined. And the only way that they can survive is they live in silos. I'm not sure if it's literally like grain silos, but that's what it's called. I'm just running off the summary. Um, and if anybody that's in there gets optimistic, like things are going to turn around, we can go mm-hmm. outside, da, 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 da. They are viewed as being a problem that needs to be eliminated, and they're kicked out of the silos, and that's where the punishment occurs, is not being able to live in the silos, because apparently it's horrific outside of there. And so if anybody displays optimism and wants to make the world a better place, you get kicked out of society oh. to die, <laughs> which oh is really weird and severe. And that's probably not a great synopsis of this book, but when I looked it up on Amazon, it had over a 1,000 reviews, and it was like a five-star rating. Wow. For a self-published book. Yeah, that's and crazy. This guy, there are people in some of the reviews saying, this is now one of my top five science fiction writers of all time. And what's his name? I or unfortunately don't remember oh, his no. name, but I will use the magic of the internet while I stall. And I can, <laughs> But I can tell you that the name of the book is Wool, and you can get – he released it in – Iterations. His name is Hugh Howey. That's H-O-W-E-Y for Howey. Um, he released one edition like last year, one little chapter, and people loved it so much he went and wrote four extra parts. So you can actually get all five parts in a five ninety nine Kindle edition. Wow. Interesting. Yeah, check it out. 1,111 reviews, Ooh. five stars. Wow. And the wow. lowest review Ooh. that's most popular is only three stars. So, yeah. I'm going to check that out. So even in light of having some disagreements about my Kindle experience, there are definitely rays of light. Yeah, that's cool. Do you have any updates on your Ready Player One manifesto, Mark? (laughs) Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, So um, one thing was in the last episode, I incorrectly said that I had not cheated at all on figuring stuff out, but I forgot that actually I got the – I got the second um my the the clue that actually helped me figure out where the first gate was was seeing on the leaderboard somebody had the second gate and I what I did was I took the I took a I got a, a, a iPhone app that's a QR code reader and I actually read the QR code on the oh. screen and that's how I figured out or that's how I knew where the second gate was and from there I was able to guess the first and third gate so I kind of acted like Clever. I figured it all out, but I was thinking about it. I was like, you know, I didn't figure it all out really without that clue. So um, so there's that. Um, nothing can happen until um, the end of the month for me to progress further, but I am listed on the leaderboard as number 420. So if I were a big-time <laughs> pot smoker, um, <laughs> that would be a particularly meaningful number for me, but since I'm not, it's just – Kind of a funny number. Um, and you know what that means, listeners? If you want to see what Mark looks like, you can go there. And it's a really bad, weird picture because I yeah, you look creepy. I look, I was like really creepy looking, um, but it was like at two in the morning. <laughs> so you know, give me a little bit of uh... <laughs> two in the morning in your dark, dark basement with your sex dolls suspended above you and the Christmas tree lights wrapped around those. Says, says she was suspended above me. <laughs> elevation on my chair. So. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was still it was pretty funny, but and then Bob's on there too. I forget what number he is. Um, He's like four fifty or something. He's after yeah, you. 
Yeah, he's after me. But uh, yeah, so we're up there. Um, his picture, ironically, isn't nearly as creepy, though his basement is allegedly a place of extreme fear and torment. With, <laughs> with a giant well in the bottom where he I'm keeps... I'm sure there's people. a lot of penetrating veins going on. Penetrating, yeah. His collection of spears. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but... Um, I want to call them. Yeah. <laughs> So get this. So I finally, you know, caught caught up on the whole um, Wheel of Time series. And, oh, did. and I, I finished. Well, yeah, there's only one more that's going to come out to end the series. And that's that's not until 2013. So I have to wait. So I've decided to reread the entire series again. It was so good, wow. including all the slow parts and everything. So I'm on the first book, the wheel or the uh, eye of the world right now. And it's really good. I forgot how great the first book is and how it just really kicks off with a bang and just keeps you keeps you just wanting more and the characters are so cool so i'm doing that right now and uh reading another book on introverts which is pretty cool called oh quiet. i've heard about it. is that like some what's it called quiet well, there's a oh few, yeah but um i think I've, i think uh someone told me about that book yeah it's pretty darn cool so I like to be reading a nonfiction and a fictional book at the same time, usually. Um, and so that's my nonfiction, of course. You actually use reading to enrich yourself. <laughs> yeah, sometimes. What if I can't? I'm can? impressed. Yeah, once in a while. <laughs> um, but that book's pretty cool. It's got some really good points about people and that there's this, you know, culture of uh, personality that we have or the cult of personality, as the song goes, Um where, you know, everybody thinks that to be a success, you have to be this, you know, crazy, gregarious, just outspoken alpha super leader. And, uh, you know, that that is the right way to be in any other way is the wrong way to be. And this book kind of says, you know what, take another look at the at yourself, because you might be the one out of. Well, you could be two out of four or one out of four. They're not quite sure what the statistic is for um, people who are introverted versus extra, extroverted. But um, a lot of introvert, introverts are, are uh, a lot of extroverts are closet introverts, <laughs> is what it says basically. So, pretty interesting. You may fool yourself, and then something will happen in your life, and you go, "Son of a gun." you know what, being in a giant crowd is actually draining and not a source of energy for me. Maybe I'm not who I think I am. So it's pretty good reading. I'm enjoying it quite a bit. That's cool. Well, and I, I really am excited to see or to listen to how your impressions continue rereading the World of Time saga. Yeah, when I get to the slow part and I'm like, why did I? <laughs> why? So the world is horrible. <laughs> now, people have been at DragonCon before may know that there is a Wheel of Time fan track that is a whole series of panels and discussions just about Wheel of Time and the current author of the Wheel of Time books, the one taking care of wrapping the whole series up, is yeah. going to be there as well. So I was Wait. curious, Mark, are you considering spending a, a good chunk of time in the Wheel of Time fan track? I think it comes as no surprise that I am planning on that. Although it, if it interferes with my RPG track time, especially now that I've released my diabolical master plan, you know, I, I don't want that to be too, too much of a challenge, but I do plan to attend it, some of it. I want to meet this Brandon Sanderson guy because he's just phenomenal what he's been able to accomplish. And well, you should bring your book. Maybe you can autograph one of them. I, well, they're all digital beyond. Well, I have, I don't have any that he's written that aren't digital. So I'll have to buy one. 
Yeah. Just in case. I think it's a good idea. Yeah. All right. That wraps up our general geekery. Then we're almost at the end. We're going to guess the roundtable. The end is in sight. On rumors and game journalism. Am I Round table topic. We choose. We chose a topic that we probably won't be arguing with one another uh, against or with. But um, <laughs> how disappointing! I know it would be really good to have a have an actual have some contention here. But basically, <laughs> there's an interesting uh, article I thought over at HolyGrenade.com. And the title is Games Journalism Must Stop Reporting Journal. Uh, Games Journalism Must Stop Reporting Rumors. Um, and um, it, it's it's an interesting story because, well, it starts out something like this. It goes a little something like this. Most journalists are responsible enough only to report the facts. Unbiased, truthful, coherent reporting is what's expected as the media act as our gateway into daily events. In journalism school, this is doctrine. Rule number one, the single most important principle taught. That said, gaming journalists continually post rumors, the suspicion that something is true, then clarify the story later on. And the author goes on to say that he finds this disturbing and that, you know, because it's a story entering public domain, there's a bit of a responsibility and it should, you know, it should have some kind of facts backing it and goes on to kind of complain about it. Now, I read it and I thought, you know, he's right. And then I got a little further and I said, no, actually, it, he's probably right. But I, for, for what I consider my, my role in game journalism, which is doing this podcast, and granted, it's not – we don't follow rigorous standards. <laughs> it's not Nightline. It's not Nightline. But, you know, one thing we've done is we've always said what we thought, and we've always taken a, a, a tact that we don't we – don't, take a position and mostly tell you, you know, why we believe in that position, but then kind of apologize for the position and mention the other position and give it and go into all of its merits as well to where at the end you're like, well, what exactly do they think? And I think the other thing that we do is we make it clear that we are beholden to no one and we're not bought and sold by anyone, even though we may be fanboys for, you know, certain, um, game styles or companies such as Noah might have more of an affinity to Nintendo than I do. Well, I might be a bit of an apologist for Blizzard sometimes, although not tonight. <laughs> um, you know, one thing we, we do that I enjoy though is covering the rumors where I think, you know, you it's something to talk about the rumors. Yeah. Now, I don't think, I don't think it's, you know, if it's clearly some kind of BS rumor, Sometimes we might even cover it just to mention just how silly it is that a, you know a major publication actually went ahead and gave oh, it yeah. any, any credit because you need to call that out and just say look at this this is a site we depend on for actual gaming news and they're being ridiculous with this or you know I can't believe they're you know who paid them to go ahead and say this right but um in general I find it to be entertaining I like to I like to mull over what what the consequences could be or what the, you know, the full connotations of some rumor may well be. And sometimes what's really amazing is the rumors are actually true. Um, Mm -hmm. The stuff we talked about tonight for the 720, um, you know, a lot of it is based on, you know, an allegedly leaked document that nobody can actually find now because it's been taken down. 
but it's still food for thought and it's and it's not so far crazy it doesn't say that you know, orbital brain control lasers or holograms will yeah. beam the information to you from suborbital, you know, platforms or something. It's fairly uh, in line with what we might expect. The only things we don't know for sure is really when it's going to come out. But, um, you know, I think I think a lot of the angst that that we've talked about with the the thought that the um, the two major consoles, the the PS4 and the Xbox um, 720, might come out, uh, you know, in such a way that they would block the reselling of games or the used, you know, killing the used games market. I thought that was something really entertaining to talk about, and I still want to talk about it as more details emerge. You know, it doesn't look like either will. Uh, either it doesn't look like either console is planning on doing anything like that. Both are supposed to have optical drives, et cetera, et cetera. But yeah. it's an interesting thought, and what it could mean is really interesting. So I don't know. In general, I like where he's headed. That journalists have responsibilities, but I do really enjoy the old rumor mill, especially in the games industry, because it is a very busy and active rumor mill, and there's always something interesting to talk about. I don't know about what do you what do you think, Noah? I completely disagree. No, excellent. <laughs> no, uh, in Mortal Kombat. I think what has started there has been a trend that started to really annoy me on professional quote unquote game news websites, where instead of labeling stories as rumors when they clearly are rumors, they're calling them reports, as mm-hmm. if that's a way to add some further credibility and encourage you to click the link or see what actually substantiates what's ultimately a blatant rumor that often doesn't have a named source or it's just like, Oh, this is somebody we've talked to before that really bugs me because when we talk about those types of stories on this show, we'll say this is a rumor and it's, it's, the rumors are the perfect topic, like Mark was saying, for debate, for creative um, extensions in terms of figuring out where could this go if this were true, where could this go if it were wrong, what would be the extensions, the ramifications, the consequences, what would be the alternatives. Rumors are the most open to speculation of anything, just like analyst predictions from Mr. Pachter. It's not based in fact. It's just assumption and opinion. And for a show like ours, where we're not necessarily reporting the news, we're we're giving our opinions like a talk show. Rumors are great for that. Oh yeah, and we may we go out of our way to make sure that you don't think that we're assuming that this is fact. We'll let you know if we wish that it were. Uh, but I also think that while this writer is focusing on rumors being reported, I can definitely understand his frustration. Because especially in the world of console fanboy internet websites, fan sites and stuff like that, there are definitely sites out there that will make up stuff all on their own and claim that they have a source. And some of us who have worked in that little industry, if you want to call it that, get so annoyed. It's like these people are just doing this for link bait. And that's really frustrating when it's like it's somebody who's competing with you for page clicks and stuff like that. And it's like, geez, it's been reported here, here, and here, or it's been repeated here, here, and there. 
should we also acknowledge it so that we don't look like we're out of the loop? And that kind of aspect is annoying. And I'm not sure if this writer was annoyed because maybe he saw a rumor that he wished were true. Right. Uh, it's like, this isn't true. I know it's a rumor. Uh, but all that said, this isn't necessarily, it's definitely pervasive in gaming, but I think the whole infusion of subjectivity and hypothesis, predictions, editorializing is really starting to permeate news in general. Otherwise, I don't think that Fox News and MSNBC and any other liberal or conservative leaning news organizations would be as popular as they are because as honorable and as worthwhile purely fact-based objective news is and I definitely would for me I still would prefer to look at that look for that first what's more and more popular is news with a slant uh, yeah sort. Right. With a touch, with a twist of editorializing or opinion, or after the news is reported, there's some talk show host who gives a purely subjective reaction to the news. That's what people are looking for. And we've got plenty of that stuff to work with in the game industry, for better or worse. And I think it creates a lot of fun at times. Yeah, it's something to talk about, especially when we have those huge lulls and game news to even cover sometimes and there'll be some crazy rumor and you know what's interesting is sometimes those rumors actually turn out to be the truth they just seemed so far-fetched and that's yeah. that's even that even makes it more worthwhile because you can look back and say well we had all these you know we thought this could go all these different ways we had all these different scenarios and the least likely one was actually how it all went down yeah no you kidding know. no kidding well, I don't know if we have any other ways that we can tease that topic out, but maybe <laughs> our listeners do. If any of you out there want to sound off on feeling that you're really frustrated with false rumor reports, is there a website that you prefer to go to because you've been so burned by rumors? Or is there a website that you love to go to because you love seeing rumors? And if you could just focus only on those, you've found a website that helps deliver that. I certainly would be interested to know what that website is maybe yeah. add it to my daily stop my daily stops on the internet but tell us your thoughts on that tell us any uh sci-fi books or cool movie impressions that you've had or if i know that we've got people out there who are joining mark on a journey through the wheel of time <laughs> <laughs> again yes the, the wheel turns as the wheel turns as the wheel turns it could be a soap opera yeah, no kidding. But, and there's uh, all that other stuff we talked about, the potential next Xbox, Microsoft Surface, all this crazy crap going on with Diablo 3, and, of course, sex and video games. Yeah. If you have thoughts or feedback, any of that, or you're, if you're burned out on Diablo 3 and want to tell us about that, send it all in to mail. M-A-I-L. Channelmessage.com. Also, we like Twitter. or we, we, You can chase us down on Twitter. At least you can chase me down. We have a channel message Twitter, but it's kind dormant. Uh, and iTunes reviews are also much appreciated. If you're liking what you hear, please let us Five stars. If you don't like what you hear, five stars. Again, <laughs> the stars just demonstrate your passionate view. Yeah. How, how, how 
strongly you feel about it. We just want to make things easy for you. Yeah, even if you're <laughs> incredibly ambivalent about it, still give us a start. You know that you're. What, how do you say this? Your ambivalency is, knows no bounds. <laughs> well, Mark, thanks for another fun show. Thank you. I had a great time. And thank you to all the listeners who continue to listen and subscribe to us. We will be back 